Welcome to an Impact Ministries production, brought to you by Impact Ministries World Changers, changing the way the world sees God. Learn how you can become a world changer today by visiting www.impactministries.com or drjimrichards.com. Now, here's your host, founder of Impact Ministries and developer of Heart Physics, the self-development program that changed thousands of lives around the world, Dr. Jim Richards. Hey, I'm Jim Richards. I want to welcome you to message number four in this incredible series called Sanctify Your Family. I'm telling you, God wants you in your heart to sanctify your family, set them apart unto the Lord. Now, that's something you have to do. You know, we used to have baby dedications on a regular basis. Our baby dedications in our church were probably very, very different than most churches because at a baby dedication, we would have the parents, we'd have the grandparents, we'd have the family members, and sometimes we'd even have friends of the family come up on the platform, and they would make a commitment to the Lord that they would help to train this child to walk with God, to know God, they would be there to encourage this child. In other words, they were going to sanctify this child. They were going to set him or her apart unto the Lord. But the key thing is they were going to do their part to make sure that it actually happened. So many things that we do uh, in our attempt to pray, to use faith, to get God, you know, we want to see God move in our families. Sadly, almost always we're praying for God to do something outside of us. Now, now listen, I think I'm thankful when God does something outside of me. I'm thankful when he works through other people. But at the end of the day, uh, sanctification always has to start with me and my willingness to set someone or something apart in my own heart to hold it as special, but to treat it as special. If we are sanctifying our families, then we should be seeking God about how to be the supporter of that decision. You know, when I first came to the Lord, uh, very, I really, I didn't know anything about religion. I knew I didn't like religion. I did not like the religious nonsense I heard growing up from my family and from my extended families. Almost everything I ever saw about God seemed phony. It seemed fake. It seemed contrived. It, it just never, ever, ever rung to be true with me. But I'm going to tell you, when I came, when I came to the Lord, I wasn't looking for religion. I wasn't looking for church. There's a lot of things that I knew I would participate in, but I, that wasn't what I was looking for. What I was looking for was the God of the Bible. In other words, and I didn't know this, but if Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever, then when I find the true Jesus, I'm going to find uh, a, a Jesus who makes things happen today the way he made things happen when he walked the earth. If I find the God of the Bible, I'm going to find a God who makes things happen in the world today and in me uh, that happened in the Bible. And so so that I wasn't looking for any kind of substitutes. I wasn't looking for anything uh, outside of myself. I wanted to know and experience God. Now, I'll just tell you this. You know, I faced discouragement just like everybody else did. And, it, you know, this, this is a journey. This is a walk that you're going to walk this out and you're going to 
you're going to have to learn as you go, as you read the Bible. You have to learn how to allow the Holy Spirit to be your teacher. You have to uh, learn for the how to let the Scripture be your textbook and not turn it into legalism and not turn it into rules and all this kind of stuff. It is a constant journey of walking with God, yielding, surrendering, uh, and this sort of thing. And, and there were times when I wondered if I would find what I was looking for. Well, I'll tell you this. I made up my mind. I would rather look for the God of the Bible and not find him than to settle for less without searching, to live in that gray, dismal place where you're not looking simply because you're afraid to look. You're not looking because you really don't believe you're going to find it. You know, one of the very interesting scriptures to me is where Jesus taught, he said, seek and you shall find. He said, everyone who seeks find. Now, one of the things that you can insert into that verse, and it will still be true to the original language, is you you find what it is you're looking for. If you have settled for who God is, and it's not based on the scripture, well, then, then that's that's the only part of God that you can find. You know, I love the places where it tells us that we have to believe on Jesus as the scripture says, not as our church says, not as our family says, not as our denomination says, not as our limited mind says. Now, early on when I came to the Lord, honestly, I knew I was giving my life to Jesus to serve. But now, I didn't have a sense of going into the ministry. I didn't know anything about going into the ministry. I didn't, I didn't, and I had no aspirations really to preach in churches or to be a formal minister. Uh, there were two groups of people I was primarily concerned about when I gave my life to the Lord. One was my generation, because people did not know how to reach my generation. And secondly, was was my family. And so I wanted to know God in a way that I could be influential in those two arenas more than any other, in my family uh, and in my generation. And so I, I was looking for a God that could work in me. Like I mentioned, I think, in the last message, you know, whenever the church, early church started getting persecuted for preaching the gospel, they didn't go out and pray for God to remove all the mm -hmm. obstacles. They didn't, they didn't, they didn't attack the people that were attacking them. They didn't fight with the devil. They prayed for boldness to go out and preach the gospel. And sadly, we don't do that. We want God to fix everything out there and make it where we never have to face a challenge and, and where we never have to deal with ourselves. But I'm telling you what's the truth. It all everything has to start with us. It has to start with me. If I want to, if I want my family to be able to experience God in a unique way, the question is, am I willing to seek God in a unique way until it comes to, it comes to happen in my life? You know, when we read the scripture about Abraham and how that whenever God got ready to, to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah, he says, look, I can't do this unless I go talk to my friend Abraham. Remember, Abraham was the friend of God. It's really interesting. The people that you see, uh, Enoch evidently was a friend of God because Enoch, you know, you don't read anything really unique about Enoch. Enoch is a type of the rapture of the church. Enoch was caught away before the flood came. And basically, that all revolved around the fact that he just walked with God. He had this living relationship with God. And so, you know, uh, now this is 
this is how it works for me. I believe you can make it work this way for you. You know, for me, I wasn't looking for an office. I was, I, you know, my whole my whole life. He said, oh, 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 you're an evangelist. I don't know. I just went people to Jesus. I don't claim to be an evangelist. Oh, 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 you're a teacher. No, I just share things with people that will help them. I really don't claim that much to be a teacher. Oh, 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 oh. So you're you're a, you're a pastor. You're a local pastor. Well, I don't know. I'm not really. I wasn't really that great at pastoring. I just I just saw uh, I just saw and had the passion to build up the body of Christ. Oh, you're an apostle. I don't even know how to define apostle. And so, you know, we, we tend to want to hang all these titles on us. But the real truth is, what I really want to be is I want to be a friend of God. Because honest, the honest truth is, when, when we are a friend of God, I believe that we have this personal interchange, this personal involvement with him, uh, where he treats us exactly like he did Abraham back in Genesis 18, 17, uh, where he's like, I'm, I'm going to go share with him. The reason I'm going to share with him is because he is going to instruct his kids to live and to walk in righteousness and to, and to uh, walk after my word. And that way I can establish everything in Abraham and in, and in his family all of the things that, that I promised him that I would, because he's going to teach us. So I just, I want to be a friend of God. I want to be like Enoch. I want to be like Abraham. I, I just, I just want to be close enough to God that whenever he has, whenever he's going to do something that could affect me or when something's going to happen around me that could affect me or my family or the people that I'm serving, I, I, I want him to tell me, I want him to show me uh, what I need to do, what I need to teach, what I need to uh, encourage people in so that they will be equipped. Now, one of the things for me, so the, so the two arenas, my, my pulpit was uh, my kitchen table and uh, the streets of Huntsville. Those were, those were my two pulpits. That's where I ministered people. And I led people to Jesus, led people to the baptism of the Holy Spirit. I, got, I saw the miraculous things happen in people's lives sitting across my kitchen table and happening on the streets of Huntsville. I saw phenomenal things. I saw the kinds of things that people write books about. And uh, uh, again, I wasn't seeking to be glorified. I wasn't seeking an office. I wasn't seeking a job. As a matter of fact, I had made up my mind that I would earn money myself. I would Everything I did in the ministry, I would support it. I would pay for it. And again, I never even really thought about it so much as being in the ministry. I just thought about it as seeking to serve and, and to bless people. But my number one pursuit to this very day is I am looking for the God of the Bible and to know him more intimately. In Ecclesiastes 7, 7.25, he says, I applied my heart to know, to search, and to seek out a wisdom and the reason for things. Now, this is not talking about a casual search. This is not talking about somebody who leisurely casts an eye toward God and says, yeah, I want to see you. I want to understand you. I always think back to the brazen serpent that the, uh, that Moses, remember Moses put a brass serpent on a pole when the fiery serpents came upon the children of Israel and began to bite them and people began to die. He put a brass serpent on a pole and raised that pole up and it says in the English, it says everybody who looked upon it was healed. But when you look at that in the Hebrew language, you realize it's not saying every person who looked at it with a casual glance. It was actually those people who looked at it, who pondered it, 
who who really meditate on it, who considered, who opened their heart up to you know to seek God and to understand why He wanted them to look at this serpent on his pole. It were it was those people who set their heart on it that actually uh, experienced these these supernatural healings, and so. You know, so I realized that in searching for the God of the Bible, in searching for the manifestation of God in in my life and in my family's life, this cannot be a casual pursuit. You know, First Corinthians fourteen one says, "Pursue love and desire spiritual gifts." Man, I want spiritual gifts to operate in my life, but I want it for a reason, not to promote me, not to promote my ministry, but for a spiritual. Purpose. First Corinthians 14, 12 says, even so you, since you are zealous for spiritual gifts, let it be for the edification of the church. In other words, this has got to be for something bigger than you. There's got to be got to be a greater purpose than you just getting the flow in the gifts. And this absolutely is not about validating your ministry, validating that you're called of God. You know, the gifts of the Holy Spirit are not to validate us. They are to validate God, glorify God by people experiencing his love and his compassion as they get healed, as they get delivered, as they get set free. So it's, th this is what I've been doing for 52 years. You know, Jeremiah 29, 13 says, you'll seek me and you'll find me when you search for me with all your heart. I will be found of you, says the Lord, and I will bring you back from your captivity. I, you know, I know that that's talking about the children of Israel. You know, should they go into captivity, that if they all search for God, they will find him and he will bring them back from their captivity. Remember, every promise of God, according to 2 Corinthians one twenty, is yes and amen for us. Any promise that God has ever made to anybody is for us. Now, I look at that scripture and I, I, claim God's promise, not only that I can seek for him and find him, no, I got, I got to meet the criteria, and that is to do this with all of my heart. But I also realize no matter how much my life is, has gotten uh, oppressed or, or I've gotten off track or I'm not being effective at what I'm doing, he will bring me back from this captivity. He will bring me into this 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 place where I live like a free man in the Lord Jesus instead of like a person who who is captive. You know, John 14, 12, and everybody knows this, says, Jesus said, most assuredly, I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, uh, he will do also and greater than these because uh, greater than these will he do because I go to my father. And whatever you ask in my name, that will I do that the father may be glorified in the son. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. Now, I'm just saying this is a scripture that you don't just grab this casually and jump off into it. And suddenly all your prayers are getting answered. This is something you give yourself to fully. This is something where you are seeking God with all of your heart. And, and you are also seeking to glorify God. Remember, uh, God is glorified when people see through us the acts of God, the, the things that the things that reveal and manifest who God really is, the things that are in harmony with his name, with his word. You know, Jehovah, Jehovah Rophi is the Lord God who heals. So when people get healed, that glorifies Jehovah Rophi. 
uh, Jehovah Shalom is the God of our peace. So when when God delivers people from fear and torment and brings them in peace, he is glorified because we're seeing Jehovah Shalom in that. Whenever, you know, you just go down the list, Jehovah Jireh, the Lord will see and provide. When people have their needs met through him, he is glorified because we get to see Jehovah Jireh. You go through all the names of God and you realize that God isn't glorified when the names of God are violated. God isn't glorified when people are oppressed, when people are hurt, when people are beat down, when people are losing. God is glorified when in people's lives there is a manifestation of who God really is. And one of the problems that we face is, you know, Jesus said our culture, our tradition, more than anything else, will neutralize the Word of God and make it not work in our lives. So over the last 2,000 years, tradition, culture, and religion have caused us to come up with these concepts of dispensationalism, these, all of these different concepts that basically reduce our expectations of God. And so as we reduce our expectations of God, then we end up giving up our role in our family where we could be the watcher, we could be the prophet, we could be the seer, we could be the one that God is using in our family to deliver our, us and our families from oppression. And I'm, I'm just going to, you know, Malachi 3, 6 says God never changes, but God doesn't change, but we do. And like the children of Israel, I think it's Psalm 78 talks about how the children of Israel, they put limits on God. They would only allow God to do so much in their life because the limits that they put on God were the limits of unbelief. I, I, I don't want to live in unbelief. See, we change our beliefs about God to fit our culture. And so, you know, so that we will fit into society, then we twist and create corrupt theology to explain or to justify why we're not finding the God of the Bible. Man, I'm telling you what, there's got to be this place where we say, I'm throwing myself in this 100%. I, I, I want God to use me. And let me, let me just tell you something. Uh, if more people would launch into the ministry with and in their families before they ever launched out into pulpit ministry, the real truth is we would have great and powerful leaders all over the world. We would be conquering the world, but we don't. We have been seduced into giving our responsibilities over to professional clergy. Now, let me say, I'm not against professional clergy in the sense of uh, uh, when your ministry gets to where it's so demanding uh, that, that you can't hold a job and minister to the people you serve, then, then obviously you, you got to let go of your job. But sadly, the goal for so many people is for their ministry to be their job. And prematurely, people jump into the ministry and, and really it hurts their family, it hurts their income, it hurts their local church, it hurts, what, it hurts their, whatever it is they're doing. Everything becomes limited because we, we jump out here in this stuff too soon. So yeah, we got a lot to learn about what it should look like to go into ministry. Uh, we got a lot to learn about all of that. But the main thing that we need to learn is the proving ground for ministry needs to be 
what happens in our families and the way it happens in our family. Listen, you, you know, I, I've talked about this before, how the people how the people believe the hardest people to minister to or to win the Lord are your family members. No, it's not. Unless they look at you and they see that you haven't changed. They look at you and they see that you're still mean or you're still, still selfish or you're self-righteous and you're preaching to them. But when you walk in love, when you are when you're bearing the fruit of the Spirit, the people closest to you are the people who can see it. And they are the people, when they see that it's really working in you, i got news for you. They're going to say, mm, I, I want some of what you've got. So listen, seek God to be a minister within your family. Now, you're not looking for recognition. You're not looking for them to exalt you. You're not looking for them to put you on a pedestal. You're just saying, God, I like what Isaiah said. He said, God, here am I send me. In other words, God, I am here and I'm going to set myself apart. I'm sanctifying my life unto the Lord and I'm sanctifying my family unto the Lord. So I want to be the person that as much as you want to use me, here I am, use me, send me and I will minister. I will minister to my family. You know, the interesting thing, the apostle Paul warns that uh, when people go in the ministry, and we touched base on this the other day, uh, when people go in the ministry, uh, that they shouldn't be a novice. Now, if you look up the word novice, it almost always just says somebody newly converted. Well, really, a novice is not a novice is not so much somebody that was newly converted. Actually, a novice is someone who has not yet proven that they can bear fruit or that they that they will bear fruit. Well, you think, well, how can I bear fruit if I don't go in the ministry? Well, here's how you bear fruit. Do you bear fruit in your family? Is the way you minister to your family received? Is the way you encourage people received? Is the way you pray for people bring about phenomenal results? Are you are you hearing the voice of the Lord? Are you getting words of knowledge where God is is telling you ways to protect your family? You know, I'm just telling you, you don't you don't really have to be like this super anointed per perfect person. I'm not that person. But you do have to be a person that is serious about God, and you do have to be serious about serving and being a blessing to your family. And I'm telling you, you will see phenomenal things happen over and over and over again. I could write uh, several books about all the miracles that I have seen happen in the lives of my children and uh, my wife and in my, in my extended family just because I would just. I would just act when I would have a sense that God was speaking something to me for one of my family members. Now, you know, we, we come into this thing, we give up our confidence. We give up our confidence that God is all, who he always has been. And so we don't expect God to use us. And then usually we disqualify ourselves. We're so, we're so busy acknowledging everything that's wrong with us that we violate the scripture that says, we should be acknowledging all every good thing that's in us in Christ. Because as we acknowledge all the good things that's in us in Christ, and that begins to influence uh, our heart, then, then we allow ourselves to be used by the Holy Spirit. We allow ourselves to be, to be used of God. But the tendency is, and I hate to say this, but man, I know, listen, I know some great pastors. I have known many, many great pastors. I still know a lot of great pastors. But sadly, there are so many pastors that want their congregation to need them, to rely on them. They want a codependent relationship. And so 
whether they intend for it to happen or not, they, they really end up functioning in the doctrine of the Nicolaitans. Man, Jesus expressed hatred for the doctrine and the deeds of the Nicolaitans. Now, the Nicolaitans were a group that uh, uh, they, they really, they really, they were really were messed up. But the key behind the Nicolaitans was this. The word Nico means to rule over. The word Laetans is where we get the word laity. So basically, the primary premise of the Nicolaitans was to rule over the laity. These were the professional uh, these were the professional clergy who really operating in an antichrist spirit. The antichrist spirit is always when we offer a substitute for Jesus. We 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 try to put people into this role that Jesus is going to do things through overseers, through deacons, through elders, through bishops, through popes, through you know all this kind of stuff. And and, and instead of uh, of being one mediator between God and man, and that's the man Jesus, where we all go to Him. We, we end up going through all these people, getting all of these anointed people to pray for us, prophesy over us, and all this kind of stuff. And the thing is, that cripples the believer. That sends the message to the believer that God doesn't use a normal daily people. You know, so the tendency has been among God's people. And this has been the tendency from the beginning. You go all the way back to Moses going up on Mount Sinai. And the people said, look, you go up and talk to God, and you come back and tell us what, what he said. We don't want to go. So, so we're always looking for people to go hear from God for us or in our stead, and that person becomes a substitute for Jesus. So in other words, this is, this is inspired by the Antichrist spirit. So that person becomes a substitute, and then that person comes and delivers the word of the Lord to us. Well, here's the thing. Even if they're delivering the word of the Lord to us, it doesn't have the same effect on us as it would have if we were to hear it in our heart. You know, Psalm 103, verse 7, explains that Moses knew and experienced God's ways, but the children of Israel only knew and saw his actions. They never wanted to get close enough to God to understand his ways. I want to tell you something. You can understand God's ways. God isn't, God isn't so difficult to get to know that you cannot understand his ways. So you say, well, what's all this about? All this is about you finally raising the bar, you going back to, to that place that you were when you first gave your life to Jesus, where you're filled with expectation and hope. Now, where, where you learn how to commune with God, you spend time with God, you read your Bible prayerfully, always looking for him to speak to you and teach you. You listen for his voice. You, you know, he, he becomes the first voice that you expect to hear even before a tragedy strikes. And you then begin to be the person who is able to stand in the gap, heal the breach uh, that is in your family and, and overcome the vulnerabilities and minister to your family through the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Desire the gift of the Holy Spirit. Expect God to use you in supernatural ways, just like he used every, every person uh, in the Bible, patriarchs, the apostles, the, all of the believers, 
And really, most importantly, just like he used Jesus, either Jesus is a liar or he's insane or he told the truth when he said, if you'll just believe on me, the works that I do, you shall do also. And he goes on to say, and you'll get your prayers answered because this is what glorifies God. We want God to be glorified in our family. And that doesn't mean our family has to be perfect. It doesn't mean our families do everything right. But it means that God always shows up. God always delivers. And God always manifests his word and his name in our family. Listen, share this with people and be, be sure and, and check out the bundle that I've got for you to pray like Jesus prayed. And we'll talk about that next week. Thanks for listening to the Weekly Impact Ministries World Changers Podcast with Dr. Jim Richards. If you like what you've just heard, we encourage you to share our web address, www.impactministries.com or drjimrichards.com with friends and colleagues. Be sure to check out the resources section of our website from previous broadcasts and our videos. Join us next week for another great message by Dr. Jim Richards.